thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett, and I have a very exciting guest with us today, Dr. Beck. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Would you like to um, just uh, introduce yourself for everybody, tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure, yeah. I'm Dr. Tara Buck. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I practice at the University of Oklahoma in Tulsa, and I kind of have multiple hats that I wear. So um, I work a lot with children and families that have autism and other developmental disabilities in my clinic, and I also teach and I do a little bit of research as well. So okay. it's a lot of fun, a lot yeah. of different things that I'm yeah. involved with. So. What do you teach? So I teach child psychiatry fellows. I'm actually a program director to help train new doctors that become child psychiatrists. Okay. Um, we also have trainees in uh, pediatric psychology, and then sometimes I train medical students, PA students. So quite a bit, quite okay. a quite a you know different hats that I wear. Um, sometimes I've also done trainings for other mental health professionals. So maybe. Um, therapists or case managers at mental health agencies and mm-hmm. um, sometimes they like to learn um, new strategies working with kids with autism and okay. developmental disabilities so, great awesome yeah. very impressive <laughs> very impressive it's a lot of fun. yeah it's, it gives me a lot of variety in my work and what I do okay so. that is super cool um yeah. and then that brings us right to our first question according to the American Academy of Pediatrics more than one-third of children with autism have a mental health condition Mm -hmm. and then half of children with autism have multiple mental health conditions Mm -hmm. so can you just talk a little bit about why it's so important that um, people get those diagnoses and they start getting treatment for that yes this is very much what I do on a day-to-day basis so um, a lot of my job is helping families understand how they can support their kids if they have autism other developmental disabilities Um, we really try to understand what are the aspects of their needs from their disability. So maybe they have needs for supporting their language skills or their social skills or other supports that we can provide. Um, And then part of this is also recognizing, are there other co-occurring mental health or behavioral disorders that we need to be treating? Um, This is really important because we will provide supports and treatments in different ways. And there's actually a lot of really cool um, treatments out there, whether it be different types of therapies or medications that we can provide to support kids. And we really have to understand both aspects. We have to understand, I call it the dual diagnosis approach. So I need to understand what is the disability, um, what are their unique strengths and weaknesses that we're working with, and then what are those other treatable mental health issues? Because I'm gonna conceptualize and treat those in different ways. 
Um, and when you can do that, you really support people because like I said, there's a lot of things we can do to help folks now. Um, and I think when people understand that, hey, maybe there's some co-occurring anxiety or ADHD or a treatable mental health condition going on, um, we support that individual to where they're more successful in school, mm -hmm. they're more successful in their job, and they also understand themselves better. And it also gives them a sense of hope, like, hey, there's something I can do here. I'm not just kind of putting this all into one label of, you know, this is just something I struggle with. It gives them something to really understand and kind of address. So as a child psychiatrist, that's a lot of what we do. Um, we help folks understand what are those things that we can be treating, diagnosing, and supporting them with. Um, and it kind of gives them a lot of tools. So, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, I think I, I had my yeah. own uh, journey <laughs> with that as a child uh -huh. um, as well. And so um, what are some current mental health trends that uh, you're seeing? Yeah, so um, I would say there has been, it seems like there are increasing rates of mental health disorders, um, also kind of post-pandemic, we've seen some rises in mental health disorders. Um, we do recognize that um, people with autism um, can struggle with mental health issues at even higher rates than just the general population, sometimes as high as four to five times more frequently. Um, and so I've noticed that there actually is an increasing awareness of this. Um, when I work with mental health professionals, teachers, parents, other caregivers and support folks, um, I think they, I think there's an increasing awareness that people with developmental disabilities can struggle with mental health issues um, just as much as other, you know, neurotypical folks, mm -hmm. but sometimes at even higher rates. And so I'm noticing more recognition and more desire to provide those supports. So I think that's really exciting. Oh, yeah. um, I have noticed a trend where even mental health therapists and other mental health providers are saying, hey, what, what do I need to do in my own training so that I can support this population better? Um, what are things that I need to learn differently in my approaches or in my therapies or even with medications that um, we may be using? How, what's kind of unique about this population and how can we support them? So I think that's something that I've noticed a lot of, that there's an increased awareness. Um, one of the things I'm excited about is I am a faculty member for a program called LEND. It stands for Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental and Other Related Disabilities. And this is actually a national program, but Oklahoma actually has a LEND program through our Health Sciences Center at the University of Oklahoma. Okay. And what's really neat is it's actually, it's multi-campus um, and it's multidisciplinary, so, um, or really interdisciplinary. So what we have is we have faculty and we have trainees from lots of different disciplines. So not just, you know, my field is child psychiatry, we have developmental pediatrics, we have, and I won't name all of them, but just to give you an idea, occupational speech, therapy, um, physical therapy, genetics, okay. um, different medical specialties. And something really cool too is we have self-advocates. So we have young adults with disabilities and also a family discipline where we have parents or caregivers that uh, bring in a really unique approach to this training. Yeah. And so, um, like I said, part of my job, I think it's not just providing care for people with mental health issues and autism, but it's also training new professionals mm -hmm. that have the knowledge and the expertise to serve this population too. So as a part of this LEND program, it's a year 
year-long, um, it's a pretty intensive training okay. where they learn a lot of different principles around working with this population, um, around different resources, different ways to kind of advocate, and even system-level things, yeah. like maybe... Um, you know, advocating and, you know, kind of within legislative, you know, means and things like that. Um, so that's something that I think is kind of exciting um, and something that I think is kind of really cool that we're yeah. doing in Oklahoma. Um, and it's just exciting to see kind of young folks that are also from all these different disciplines that get really passionate and excited about working with this population. And then they kind of go and they inundate the places they work and bring that knowledge. So, yeah. so I think that's really cool. Um, okay. So yeah, there's, I think there's, there's a lot of different trends. Um, and, and one thing, one other thing I would add to this is, um, for a parent who's trying to get supports for their kid that may be struggling with mental health issues or behavioral issues is, um, sometimes kids with autism do not always respond to therapies or medications in traditional ways. And so sometimes even if something you try something and it doesn't quite work, sometimes we have to step back and just think, okay, um, you know, maybe are we pursuing the wrong treatment or is there something unique here? Maybe they're just not responding in a traditional way where we need to kind of try something different and kind of regroup and kind of talk it out as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind too, because so, you know sometimes we'll try like our, our first evidence-based strategy and some kids will do really great with that, but some won't. And so that's part of what I kind of get excited about is stepping back saying, okay, what have we tried? What options do we have out there? And maybe we need to like change our approach because maybe it's not going to work for this particular kid. So that's something that I think is really important in this population. Um, They all have such unique needs Mm -hmm. and you can't just say, okay, this kid has autism or they have anxiety and we're going to treat them the same way. Sometimes we have to really be unique and really think about those unique strengths and weaknesses of that individual. No, yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a spectrum. It is. So very much. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love working with this population because even though, you know, this may be the same diagnosis with different people, it is so individual, right? Like how someone presents, what their social skills are like, what their unique kind of gifts and, and strengths are. And, and that's something that I really love, even as folks get older. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my patients are now getting to where they're teenagers and young adults. Okay. And so I'm doing a lot of um, transition planning work with them. And it's so fun because I love to help people figure out, okay, what is your unique strength and how can we use that to not only give you direction on what you should do after high school, but how can you use that maybe as a job one day or allow it to maximize your independence so that you're not having to rely on your family as much if, if that's something you desire. Um, and so I love that because everyone's so unique. It yeah. makes my job so interesting, right? Yeah, no. Um, so it's just, it's really fun. It's such a fun group of, of folks to work with. And, and I love just helping people kind of figure out what is their unique gift and kind of what's their place in society. You know, what do they have to give back? So it's really cool. No, yeah, no, it is. And it's nice to hear you <clears throat> talk about it like that because, you know, um, not to get too sidetracked, but you know, yeah. um, autistic people are one of the highest unemployed populations yeah. as well, um, and they also struggle to hold jobs mm-hmm. consistently too. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so the fact that you're working with them trying to figure out, because we all do have strengths, you know, and Mm -hmm. we're all different and we all have strengths Mm -hmm. and we are all good at not just one, but a plethora of things and, you know, um, helping them find out how they can take that and, you know, use it to. Yes. And I think what we're recognizing is that, that folks have unique needs. So let's say even after high school, let's say they had supports in school, Mm -hmm. maybe they were on an IEP, which is an individual individualized education program or like a 504 plan those are kind of formal ways to give folks supports what we're finding is that in order for people to really be successful and what we mean by that is really you know being able to live independently being able to manage their life skills on their own having a meaningful job in order to support people in those skills they have unique needs And I actually, one of the neat things about this is I've noticed over the last several years, there has really been an increase in not only awareness of that, but support services for that. So for example, um, one thing in Oklahoma that I've seen really grow over the last several years are these um, comprehensive transition programs. Okay. So after high school, the idea is many of ours in Oklahoma right now are linked to colleges, but we have these programs where um, uh, someone can be, they're a college student, okay. essentially, um, and they feel very included, like they're a part of the regular college experience, but we're adding additional supports for them because we know that they can be successful if they have the supports with life skills, with academics, mm-hmm. maybe with things like you know financial planning, um, learning, you know, how do you live in a dorm, yeah. and like take care of yourself and manage, you know, having roommates and things like that. If we can add more supports around um, that part of their life, they can learn those skills and they're not having to necessarily live at home or have that the more intensive support through family members and things like that. So I've seen a lot of um, these types of programs grow. Like right now, I think we have one at... Sooner Works. Sooner Works at University of Oklahoma. And then OSU has one yes. called... Um, Opportunity Orange, I think is the name yeah, of that one. Yeah, uh-huh. and then um, Riverhawk Scholars. Yep. Yeah. At Northeastern State. Yep. I think there's also a program at USAO in Chickasha. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah. So I think these kinds of, I've, I've seen a lot of excitement with this and these types of programs growing. Mm-hmm. And and I think, too, there's even been discussion on how can um, local high schools add in more of this. So there's been some some discussion around can the local high schools be adding some more transitional type services even after people finish, you know, their senior year, they could still potentially get support for the next few years. So okay. there's some really, there's some really neat things going on. Okay. Um, and, and I've even seen a trend too, even with employers, you know, because so one of the things I'll, I'll talk to um, teens and young adults about is on the one hand, we see a feature of autism can be that you have these kind of intense interests or maybe repetitive behaviors or interests. Well, sometimes we can actually use that to our advantage. Exactly. Right? Yes. So if someone's really, really passionate about something and they're really consistent with that, it's like, well, let's figure out how do we use that to become something. Maybe they do that for a living one day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like if like, you know, I had a, a guy that I worked with and he was really into 
um, certain vehicles or like school buses. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, let's take that and move that into your vocational planning so that let's have you work on buses. Yeah. Maybe you can do things with, you know, repairing them, cleaning them, maintaining them, where it's like, you're going to be really passionate about that as a young adult and you're going to want to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so I think I've heard that there are some companies that are even seeing this aspect of, of people where, hey, this can be something we can use as like a really great gift that gives back to kind of the company and the work that we do. Because then people are really passionate about their work. You yeah. Know? So I think, I think that's a really healthy way to look at this, that it's not always, oh, this is something that is a problem or is bad, but like this can actually be used for like, um, for good and, yeah. and to yeah. help people. So yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, one of our trainings at AFO mm -hmm. is LEAD, mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, neurodiversity in the workplace, but oh, it's a cool. training for employers. Does basically what you're talking about. Like, That's here's awesome. what autism is, but here's all the benefits of hiring neurodiverse yeah. candidates and having a neurodiverse workspace, you know, because yeah. you're right. It's not like a, it's not a problem. Yes. It's just how people are, yes. you know? Um, and I, I agree with you. I, I, I find that very cool um, just because, <laughs> you know, um, it took me a long time to figure out what I would be really good at. Yes. Um, but, but everyone, it takes we everyone do, a while. Right? You know, Somebody no one knows right off rip. It takes everyone yeah. a little while. Um, yeah. So um, research shows that bullying affects children with autism three to four times more than their neurotypical mm -hmm. peers. Mm -hmm. So can you um, shed some light on why that might occur? Yeah, um, some of this could be that when you look at some of the core challenges with folks with autism that those social skills may not always be to the same level of their peers. Mm -hmm. And so what can happen is um, maybe peers are using sarcasm or maybe, you know, peers are honestly, they can, maybe they don't have the best intentions and they're saying mean things and that student doesn't recognize that. So I think that inherently there can be some challenges where people just don't recognize it or they don't know how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. So I think that can be tricky. Um, I also think this tends to be, bullying tends to be more common too when you have students with autism who are around a lot of neurotypical peers and they're more included, which I think is a really great thing. I think inclusion is really important and needed. Um, but you have more opportunities where if peers don't realize that, oh, maybe there is a little bit of a, a developmental challenge or disability there, um, they may kind of make fun of things and they don't, they don't understand that that is a, a true challenge for that kid. So I think that, you know, there's some, some different things that can kind of contribute to that. Um, I will say it has, I have, I have found that in general, I think that people are recognizing that this really is not healthy behavior, that bullying is not something that, oh, we should just kind of let kids go through this because it makes them you know, better adults. I think maybe there were some older mindsets around that that um, we don't really um, recognize as all that valuable. And, um, and I'm noticing that, that schools have really taken um, a big role in trying to work on this better. Um, not just helping kids individually, but also looking at systemic things within schools. Like how do we set up culture that's healthy? You know, how do we value diversity in our schools and our classrooms? How do we create, you know, systems to where if bullying is occurring, there are point people that, you know, you notify someone and that it's really addressed really quickly. Um, I'm noticing a trend that schools are really trying to be on the forefront of this and, and 
try to um, change some of these dynamics where there's a lot of bullying going on because we recognize that it's just it's not helpful for anyone Mm -hmm. it's not helpful for the kid that's being bullied it's not helpful for the kid that's doing the bullying Um, usually there's lots of other factors happening or other you know mental health behavioral problems or other things going on within the classroom that are kind of playing into this Um, and so I think as a whole I've been glad to see that um, people are really trying to tackle this more Um, I know I've been um, on some uh, committees where there's been folks on the educational side, like even through the State Department of Education in Oklahoma, where they're really trying to bolster supports for schools on this. Um, I know they have some anti-bullying, not only policies, but curriculums and different things that schools can access, which is really neat when you think about this more kind of from a systematic standpoint. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there's been movement in this, but I think it's one of those things you kind of have to stay on it and you have to keep working on this and making those healthy kind of environments and cultures to where it's just really not accepted. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're working, we're getting there, but it's one of those, you just have to keep working on it yeah. and keep telling people about it and making sure people know what resources are out there. And there's some great curriculum, you know, online. Okay. Oh, one thing I wanted to highlight on this, um, one thing I learned through our LEND training recently okay. was um, the Developmental Disabilities Council of Oklahoma mm-hmm. is actually offering an anti-bullying training, and it's it's looking at it more from the stance of the self-advocate. So okay. training a student or a teen or an adult, okay. how you know how do I handle bullying when that happens to me, and how do I advocate mm-hmm. for myself to kind of stand up for myself and to yeah. stop it where it's at. So I thought that was kind of neat, no, that and is they're cool. offering that right now. Okay. So um, so yeah, I found out about that recently. I thought it was pretty cool. Okay, cool. I did not know so, that. So yeah. I will have to I will have to get in contact with them. Yeah. yeah. We, no, but um yeah, I think what you said like we just have to make it seem not cool. You know, I'm trying to yeah. like, kind of shift that mindset. Yeah, you know like social media is kind of making autism mm-hmm. cool. And now we just need to figure out how to make bullying not cool. Like, yes. don't bully because that's what lives. It's kind do. of that modeling, you know? Exactly. Like, we're model, like, healthy behavior yeah. and healthy relationships. And, um, yeah, I think I think we're going in the right direction, but I know there's there's always challenges with that. And, and you know, there's... I think what makes it really complicated too is now so many people are on social media and so that's a whole nother level where it's not just face-to-face interaction it's very easy for someone to just make a rude comment online and you know, cyberbullying, and um and there's just so much i think it's added just a whole layer to this this issue that is it's tricky it is know? yeah so. i'm very grateful um Social media wasn't a thing until after I graduated high school. You know, I could imagine the pressure that um, kids must feel with it's a it lot. in schools. And even parents feel that pressure too. A lot of times parents come to me and they want guidance on how do they support their young one or teen. You know, how do they provide um, maybe parameters around social media okay. usage and even, you know, online internet usage. Yeah. Because what we found is kids that have parents who are more engaged in that, where they just show that uh, mindset of, hey, I want to know what you have access to. I want to be involved, kind of more of a support stance. 
Um, not, you know, from like a real controlling perspective, but really like, hey, I want to know what, what accounts you have and what you're involved with and, and make sure that we're providing guidelines and support for mm -hmm. you in our family. We find that those kids that have parents that do that tend to do better down the road. Okay. I think parents who tend to kind of just say, oh, it's kind of not something I want to get involved in and I just kind of let them have access whenever they want and aren't, just aren't as involved with that those kids tend to have more issues when we follow them down the road. So okay. I just try to encourage parents. I don't think there's a, you know, a, a perfect, like, here's the line. You know, I find sometimes families differ on their values and how they view using technology and social media. But I think there's, these are really healthy things to have discussions about, you know, like what's important to you, you know, is it, you know, we don't want access to, maybe we take breaks from devices on trips together or at meal times, okay. or, you know, maybe we just, none of us keep our devices in our rooms at night. I mean, there's just, there's kind of differing things that I see families will do just to, just to provide a little bit of balance and um, healthy view around those things. Cause they're so much a part of our lives yeah. now, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's one of those things that I think has changed over the years too. It's kind of, we're kind of having to learn it as we, as we live it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're all on devices now. And that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, but, okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. So just kind of, uh, taking, I, I don't have children, so I, that's not something I would ever even think about. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so just kind of taking a interest in their yes. online presence. Yes. Okay. Very much so. Okay. Very, very cool. So. Um, and then, you know, obviously the pandemic happened, mm -hmm. um, still happening. Is that what we're, is that where we're at? I'm I think unsure. we're officially coming out of it. Okay. But um, I don't think we're officially in the pandemic anymore. Okay. But it, it felt, it lasted a lot longer than any of us expected. I Absolutely. Think. <laughs> uh, but with that, right? So especially uh -huh. children and uh -huh. children with autism, like how has the pandemic affected these children? Like what yeah, you know, there were some real unique challenges during and kind of coming out of the pandemic, but I think there were some interesting positives that happened afterwards too. So I think on the, on the downside, I mean, we know the pandemic was very destabilizing for a lot of our society. Um, I think kids were really impacted where they didn't, they couldn't go to school. You know, so many kids were doing school online. Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't have the social interaction. And I, and I also think we didn't recognize how when kids were getting school at home and they weren't getting all those supports from the actual building going into it. Okay. Um, I think, I don't think we fully understood just how much school support kids. Um, I think that we, during the pandemic, we really started to recognize just, you have so many eyes on kids, you know, when you think about things like food insecurity, trauma or abuse that could be occurring at home. Okay. I think when you've got kids that are daily interacting with other professionals and educators and, and school staff, there's just a lot of inherent supports that you get from that system. And okay. I think when, we, when that all shut down, I think we started to really recognize how we lost some of that. Um, I have noticed that um, kids, they do, in some ways, they lost some of the, the natural s social training that happens from school and being in the classroom. So I think that was kind of a tricky thing. And we also saw, you know, there was just a high sense of um, 
sense of isolation and loneliness. And so we saw increased rates of depression and anxiety and um, even suicide rates during that time. Um, so I think there were some real challenges that the, pandem- that the pandemic um, brought. Um, and a lot of our ERs, our emergency rooms, kind of turned into like de facto mental health clinics oh, and okay. crisis centers. Um, we would have kids that ended up in the ER because of mental health crises and there were no places for them to go. So um, I think it really brought a lot of that to the forefront. On the plus side, I think because of all of that, it created an awareness of how much support schools do provide and the fact that, you know, we have these mental health issues that we need to be supporting. So I've seen a lot of development happen since then. So I think you guys featured the 988 Mental Health Lifeline at one point. So, I mean, that's a really cool development that happened around this time. Um, and, um, and, and we've talked a little bit about the awareness that people are recognizing that these mental health issues are really important and need to be addressed. So I think that's a really good thing. Um, another really positive thing that came out of the pandemic is the telehealth infrastructure. Okay. Yeah. So, and a lot of people really like this, um, that when the pandemic hit, we very quickly had to move our services from a medical stance to a telehealth mm-hmm. um, and, and use a telehealth vendor. And so I think patients have really loved having that as an option, um, especially now that we have both. We kind of have this hybrid yeah. model where you can go in to see your doctor, or your therapist, or you have this telehealth option. And you think about a parent who has a kid with special needs, maybe they have special medical equipment, or, yeah. or they're bringing in other siblings, or they're having to leave their work to come in for an appointment. You can imagine how big of a positive shift that is to be able to jump onto a telehealth yeah. visit. And I've actually noticed some kids even prefer it. Sometimes okay. teens are even more comfortable talking to a mental health professional on their phone than they are coming into a clinic. And so in some ways, it's kind of been really interesting. I feel like some patients, I, I get more accurate information. So I think that's been a big game changer. Okay. And I don't, I really don't see that ever going away. I think that will always, I really think we're going to keep that as an option long term. Okay. Um, and I have loved a lot of the technologies like Zoom and Teams and yeah. these, these technologies where you can jump on a team meeting, you know, let's say you want to jump on an IEP meeting for a kid at school. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier doing that now than having to drive and go to an actual meeting in person. So I think there's some really neat things that happened after the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I do think it did raise our awareness of some real challenges we had too. And so, you know, now hopefully we're kind of coming out of things and trying to find a nice balance of all of this. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I guess that would make, I'm thinking about it like, yeah, if you know, if a kid's more comfortable mm-hmm. talking to someone on their phone in their own space, yes. you probably would be able to get more out of them, like as opposed yes. to putting them in a situation where they're not as it's comfortable. True. That's or they're really in a cool. clinic and they're having to wait. You can see oh, yeah. how yeah. it just feels more formal, you know. So, and some people like that, but some they kind of like being in their in their more comfortable space. Yeah. So it's, no, that's super cool. Yeah. You're a very impressive person. I'm just like very impressed by you right now. <laughs> well, you do a lot. You. No, it's Thanks. really cool. Um, is there anything else you think people should know about or that you want to touch on while you're here? The one thing I love to talk about whenever I'm given opportunities to, to have these discussions is just to really instill the hope of that I really think as 
even looking at our state in the state of Oklahoma, um, there are really exciting things going on. And I know sometimes it's very easy to get bogged down with you know the problems and the challenges that we have. Um, but as a state, we're doing some really cool things. And you know, I've been here the last 10 years and I have seen so much movement in a positive way to support kids and adults that have developmental disabilities and autism. And um, I just like to highlight that and to mm-hmm. make people aware of that. Um, one of the big things that we've seen some really positive movement in is with our developmental disability services wait list. So yep. the DDS wait list. Yeah. And um, it's important to people for people to know that in order to qualify for that, you do have to have a co-occurring diagnosis of intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we have quite a few people in our state that have that have autism, have ASD, and also have co-occurring intellectual disability, um, they would qualify for those services. And they can be really impactful for families and for services to support people in the community. So I really encourage people, if they have a family member or a loved one, if they are not on the DDS wait list and they have questions about that, to go on their website and um, look that up and really get them on the list because the waiting time for that has significantly shrunk in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it used to be people waited so long, they'd kind of put it off. And so I'm really trying to capture folks that need those services. Um, So that's one thing I really like to highlight. I also like to highlight um, a resource that's called Sooner Success. Yeah. Um, And they're just a really great, um, they have basically um, resource contacts or kind of like case managers all over the state. And if a family is looking for um, developmental resources, mental health resources, they provide respite vouchers and information on that. Um, I just think they're such a great resource. Doesn't matter what insurance you have, doesn't matter what your kid's diagnosis is. Um, and they can they can provide a lot of support. And many of those contacts are professionals and have family members with developmental disabilities. So I think that that's um, a really great thing I wanted to highlight. Um, and also I want to highlight that Oklahoma has some really um, uh, comprehensive mental health supports in our state where it's not just traditional, you have to go to a clinic and you have to go to a traditional appointment. Something that I think is really neat in Oklahoma is we have a lot of variety around the types of mental health services you can get and where you can get them. So something that I even saw was unique because I trained out of state and then came back to Oklahoma to practice. Um, The fact that kids can get behavioral or mental health therapy, they can get it in their schools many times. They actually, a lot of the schools have therapists and mental health um, support staff embedded in the actual schools themselves. I think that lowers a lot of stigma and a lot of fear for people that don't want to go to a separate clinic or maybe the family just, um, it's hard for them, maybe transportation or it's hard for them to get those services. It's been really neat to see how we provide a lot of what we call wraparound or systems of care services where they'll go into the home, they'll go into the school, and they'll provide, they'll really come to you and try to provide those services where you need them. So I just, you know, I think that we're really trying to eliminate the barriers that people have Mm -hmm. to getting the care that they need. Um, And so I just think that's really neat. And I think we need to recognize, you know, we're, we're continuing to make steps in the right direction and that we have to keep challenging ourselves to keep making those services better and increasing the providers and the people who can, who can, you know, give those services. Mm -hmm. So, and then part of my job is to help train folks 
so that they feel really comfortable mm -hmm. serving populations mm -hmm. that have you know autism and other developmental disabilities. So I you know I, I have noticed over the years, you know, early in my career, I would have people come to me and say, well, I just didn't have specialty training or I just don't know, you know, how to help this person. And now I don't hear that as much. Now okay. I feel like I'm seeing this shift where we all recognize, hey, this is a large population of yeah. people. We can't continue to say, well, only this small group of people is going to yeah. serve this population. So I'm noticing it's, it's kind of like this awareness of we all have a role to play. Rather, you're a business owner or you're a therapist or a psychiatrist yeah. or a teacher. Yep. It's like, hey, we all have a role to play. This is a huge population of people and they belong in our community, yeah. right? And so how are we going to support folks individually? So um, I think that's just really cool. So I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I'm no, of, thank I'm, you. I'm excited about the things that are happening. And, and I think that there's, there are some incredible advocates, self-advocates, parents, families yeah. who just are going to stay at it and they're just going to keep making things better. So... I think that's something that's really exciting. No, that state. is super cool. Yeah. So. And you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. finding out and getting that education, um, if it's okay with you, yeah. um, any of the, like the mm -hmm. Lynn program or your yeah. training, if um, it's okay with you, I can add the info for that oh, into the description. So that for anyone. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Great. We yeah. That Lynn program that. sounds really cool. Yes. And one other thing I did want to give a shout out for is one thing we're really proud about um, is um, I help co-run a research study where we provide a therapy to kids and teens that have recurrent nightmares. Okay. And one of the things that we're really proud about is many times in research studies, folks that have autism or other developmental disabilities, they get excluded from studies because it adds a layer of complexity to the research. And we've been really adamant, we wanna include everyone irrespective of your other diagnoses. Um, and so if anyone is out there and has a you know, kid or a family member between the age of six to 17 okay. who struggles with recurrent nightmares, um, they can call us and find out. We have a free study, it's totally online through okay. telehealth. So anyone in the state of Oklahoma, um, and we provide some really cool like gift cards and prizes yeah. and stuff for them to participate. And it's totally free. Okay. Um, and I, I can we can put some info on the website. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, or they can call. We have our nine one eight six three one three two four two. Okay. So they Great. can call that number and find out about it. And it's really it's really neat. It's a collaboration between the University of Oklahoma and the University of Tulsa. Okay. So I work with Dr. Cromer there, and we've got a great team of people to, to provide those resources. So, okay, yeah. cool, awesome. Yeah. No, that is cool, yeah. So I will put that information okay. in the description of this episode yeah. for anyone who would like to uh, learn just about all of these awesome yeah. things that we talked about. Seriously, um, very nice talking to you, all the wonderful yeah. things you're doing and that Oklahoma is doing as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just thank you so very much. Um, yeah, thank all you right. for inviting me. Of this course, is so fun. I know, right? Yeah, no, it is fun. I like fun learning all the yeah. new things. Um, yeah. But okay, y'all, that's another episode of Unmasking with AFO. Um, thank you again yeah. for coming, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health 
And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.